tents. You promised that springtime and harvest would keep on happening until Jesus returned. We're thankful for that. Thankful also, God, for your word. It's amazing. It's wonderful, powerful, alive, and active. We open the book. We open our hearts and minds and say, come Holy Spirit. Teach us your ways. Take us deeper in your word. Thank you, Lord. We want to become not just hearers of your word, but doers as well. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 14. Started with the 144,000 on Mount Zion with the Lamb, but to the way at the end of the seven years, and Jesus taking over physical rulership of the earth. And then we had um, again, it's this bounce back and forth chronologically kind of thing. Then we had the three angels make their announcements. Maybe we could put up. three angels making declarations flying directly overhead, telling the whole earth some three different things. Those three angels, that happens back here at the midpoint. So you got eternal gospel, worship the God who made the heavens and the earth, don't worship this goofball in Jerusalem claiming to be God. Second one announces Babylon fallen, and that's the first mention in the whole book of Revelation of Babylon. So interesting, we didn't really make this point, but so the very first thing we hear about Babylon is what? That it's fallen. fallen. So it's, it's encouraging. We're going to find out that Babylon is really a, a terrible aspect of the end times. Uh, but we hear, the first thing we hear about is that it's fallen. God has a plan. He's going to bring it down. So that's encouraging to us. And then the third angel uh, flies around. And we know that it's a midpoint because that angel tells the whole world, don't take the mark. And if you do, it means, assuredly, it means hell, torment forever. So don't take the mark. So uh, we love that about God. He gives, gives the whole world super clear, fair warning, and the gospel at the most critical time in, in human history, God makes sure. Now, it's interesting because I didn't bring this up, but in Matthew chapter 24, anybody remember the, the, one, the one sign that Jesus gives? He says, says, this will happen and then the end will come. Does anybody remember what that sign is? Probably not fair to throw that out there in a daylight savings time morning. <laughs> he said, every, every people group on the planet will hear the gospel, and then the end will come. So we're getting close, right? The, minister, the uh, mission organizations say within five to ten years, every language group on the planet will have heard the gospel. Um, computers and 
obviously smartphones and stuff, technology are speeding up how fast we can get languages translated and um, the scriptures into their hands. It used to be 10 to 15 years to start from scratch to get a language started and get the Bible in their hands. Now we can do it in three years. So within five to ten, mission organizations think every every language group is going to hear it. So I've always been kind of balancing in my own head, is it going to be that we physically reach all the language groups like we're getting close to accomplishing? Or does God count this third angel in that promise? I mean, God can send, not God too, okay. We can send the angel right now and make this declaration, right? And the whole world, every language group would hear the gospel and then the end could come. But it seems like um, seems like us physically bringing the gospel to people is what Jesus had in mind with that promise. It hasn't come yet, but we're getting close to reaching that goal. Any comments, questions on that? It's kind of interesting, right? Okay. So the three angels there. We finished the three angels, the third angel last Sunday. Let's go back to that now. Revelation chapter 14. Uh, let's just read the third angel, kind of get back in the flow here, because there is one little thing tacked on to the end of that third angel I want to do this morning. So, Revelation chapter 14, verse 9. A third angel followed them, the other two angels, and said in a loud voice, Anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He, that person who takes the mark, will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. And we talked about that quite a bit last Sunday, at, um, just to kind of summarize sounds to me like this is one of the most direct, crystal clear opportunities to choose Christ or the devil. And people who take the mark are, with the angel announcements and stuff, there's never been a more crystal clear moment for you to make a choice. And when people choose to take the mark and worship the beast, um, that leads to this, this eternal torment. No rest for them day or night. Verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. So I should have looked up. How many times does Revelation say this calls for patient endurance? I can think of three for sure because they're kind of fresh in my head. At least three times, maybe more. Patient endurance. So a few Sundays ago, I kind of brought up the question of why does God allow his children to undergo such persecution and martyrdom and so forth? I was reading the other day, let's, let's go back to Daniel chapter 13, or chapter 11, I'm sorry. There's no chapter 13 in Daniel. That's what Pastor 
Daniel slandered version. <laughs> Daniel chapter 11. Daniel is specifically mapping out about 500 years before Antiochus Epiphanes uh, rules over Israel. Antiochus was one of the, the most narcissistic, powerful, in love with himself rulers that's ever been on the planet. And he did closest thing to what the Antichrist will do of anybody in historical times. He eventually went into the temple in Jerusalem. He sacrificed a pig on the altar because he knew that would be the most offensive thing he could do. So when Jesus says abomination of desolation, that's what the Jews think of. That was the worst possible day. In our holy temple, Antiochus Epiphany sacrificed a pig on the altar. Because a pig is an unclean animal, right? You're not supposed to eat it touch it, not supposed to raise it, whatever. And he brought in a hog and sacrificed on the altar and then stopped, stopped um, Jewish sacrifices and declared himself to be Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes is uh, God revealed. I am God revealed. And commanded people to worship him as God. So this prophecy God gave to Daniel is prophecy 500 years ahead of time detailing the things that Antiochus was going to do. So in chapter 11 again, verse 31, and, but, but it's also it's a foreshadowing of what the Antichrist will do. Okay, So a lot of similarities. Verse 31, his armed forces, and I, we know from history when this happened, so I wrote in my margin, 168 B.C. This is when it happened. Verse 31, his armed forces, the, the hog on the altar, this happened in 168 B.C. Historians have recorded it. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. So, like almost always happens, Hitler did it, so forth and so on. Religious officials bowed down and kissed Antiochus's toes and and uh, told the people that they should follow him, and he was an okay guy, okay? Because it would, they were corrupt. He would pay them off or whatever. There was, there was stuff in it for them. But the people who were really committed to the true God of Israel knew that that was all lies and, and terrible stuff, and they resisted Antiochus. And the Maccabees, you know, heard of them? The Maccabees rose up and uh, did all they could throw off, to get rid of Antiochus, and they were successful to a great degree. So Hanukkah, I'm throwing a bunch of history in here. So Hanukkah, that's when the Jews celebrate the cleansing of the temples and the miracle. All the supplies and things have been destroyed and taken out by Antiochus. So when the Maccabees um, militarily regained control of the temple, the priests came in and cleansed the whole place physically, cleaned it out, and then spiritually cleansed it and began to restart the sacrifices. And they went to light the lamp that in the Old Testament in Exodus and Leviticus says, this, this lamp with the seven, you know, seven bulbs on each one representing the Holy Spirit. They went to light the lamp that's supposed to stay lit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, forever. 
that they didn't have enough oil, olive oil reserves, to keep it going. And miraculously, so they lit the lamp, and miraculously it stayed lit for days and days until the new supplies of olive oil came. And so the Jews take that to, took that to be, I think rightfully, a miracle from God to show God's pleasure at them coming back to the temple and making it the way it should be in worship of him. That's what Hanukkah is all about. That's why they have the menorah, right? Seven, seven uh, tiered candles in their windows and stuff. They're celebrating that moment. Well, this is when it this is when it went down. So the, the people who know their God will firmly resist him that ended up being the Maccabees revolt and eventually restoring the temple. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. And when they fall, they will receive a little help. Many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. But it struck me Verse 35, I thought, that's really clearly stated. What's one of God's purposes in allowing the persecution at the end of the tribulation years? What's it for? For refinement, purification, uh, the, the bride of Christ being made spotless. So, it helps answer that question. So, back to Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Is God fuzzy dicing any of this? Is he hiding what it's really going to be like? Because he knows we can't handle it. Or is he just telling us up front, this is what it's going to be like. And it's for purification and there's many other things too. But that's, that's really one of the main things God's going to be doing in us. It calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Jesus was faithful to us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did he want to find another way? It's 
save us? He asked God three different times, is there some other way? But in the end, he said what? God, let your will be done. And that's what I will do. And this is, this is similar to what God is saying for us. It's going to be rough. Some of us are going to be, I think, I believe, um, supernaturally protected and so forth, like the 144,000. Um, yay. And some of us are appointed to have opportunities to stand for Christ and give our lives. And the Lord says, remain faithful to Jesus, even if it means death. I want a spotless bride that's willing to stand up for me, regardless of the consequences. Verse 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor. And that goes back up to, because this was kind of a rush last Sunday. So a few verses back up, the people who take the mark, what's the... What's the distinct part of their, their punishment. It goes on forever. And what does it mention about rest for them? No rest day or night. It's part of the, the judgment, their punishment. No rest day or night. What's the contrast for those who love Jesus, obey his commands, remain faithful to him, even if that means they should, they should die for their So our deeds are what we have done is going to go with us. How's that gonna how's that gonna show itself? So World War II. What do we celebrate? Veterans Day and stuff. Memorial Day. We celebrate heroic things people have done in the past. Their deeds follow them. They still get praise, honor, and glory for the good things they have done. So our deeds are gonna follow. So are we gonna get Accolades? Is God going to honor us in heaven? Sure. You're going to get crowns, right? We don't think about that too much either because we're Minnesotans. But let's say, I'm going to get crowns. Let's, let's say it out loud. It's, it's strange. I'm going to get crowns. Your deeds are going to follow you. The, the times you've loved the Lord, the times you've stood up for him, the, the times you've remained faithful when it was hard, the times you have loved people, shared the gospel with them, all those things are going to be remembered. Those deeds are going to follow you for eternity. I don't know if there's going to be a plaque on the wall or how it's going to be done, but your deeds are going to follow you. Yeah. Go ahead. So how does that fit with that verse that says, um, let's amen to boast? Oh, we aren't doing the boasting. Who's, who's doing the, yeah. Yeah, I, I thank you for that. God's boasting over us. It's so bizarre. Because we we do we, we truly we are we want to be humble and all the glory goes to God 
God says, wonderful. Uh, but when you get here, I'm going to honor you. So Psalm 23. Um, God set the table before me in the presence of all my enemies. Who sets the table for me? God sets the table for who? For me. God's going to host a feast in heaven, and you and I aren't going to slave in the kitchen for it. He's going to provide it. He says, come and dine. And he says, come and sit at the, at the high place, at the important places around my table. Each spot's going to be important. Because God honors us. It's hard for us to see that sometimes. But that's the truth of it. If we're willing to give it all, including our lives, but when we get there, sheep and the goats, right? God says to the sheep, his precious saved ones, he says, when you fed the hungry and you, you gave water to the thirsty and gave clothes to the naked and all these things, you were doing it unto me. And we say what? Huh? When were we doing that? We aren't even really aware in the moment because we're following Jesus. We're, we're doing what he would have us do because we want to. We're not taking note of it and going, Nail the crown today. We're, we're not we're not doing it that way. So Jesus, well, he's keeping track, right? He's writing down, he's keeping track of our tears, he's keeping track of our accomplishments. All those things. Heaven's gonna be pretty wild. It's gonna blow our minds. Chapter 14, verse 14, John writes, I looked, 
there before me was a white cloud. What do we know about white clouds? It's almost always ends up being who's involved. Yeah, geez, almost always. <clears throat> Revelation or Matthew 24 or wherever in the Bible, that's a white cloud. Jesus is almost always on the scene. So I looked, there before me was a white cloud. Seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. Who's that almost always referred to? Jesus. A crown of gold on his head. Does that fit? A sharp sickle in his hand. So what do we use a sickle for? Harvest. Yeah. I don't know. Back then they used to bring in wheat. What else did they Yes, you can also use it to kill weeds. We'll see that. The, there's two harvests coming up here in this, in this end of the chapter. Um, the happy one and the sad one. We're going to start with the happy one. <laughs> so, like a son of man with a crown of gold in his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Verse 15, then another angel came out of the temple called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. So it came out of the temple. What temple do you think we're talking about? John's tomb. Yeah, probably Jesus sitting on a cloud with a sharp sickle and an angel comes out of the temple. Probably the temple, the temple throne room of God. That's where the vast majority of the stuff in Revelation comes from. So out of that temple called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Now I know it's, it's pretty generalized, and I don't want to say fuzzy, but it's pretty generalized, right? But what do you think, Which what moment is this talking about? Probably Jesus with a sickle sitting on a cloud harvesting earth. What do you think we're talking about? Rapture. Yeah, it lines up best with the rapture. That's when all those who have died in the Lord are harvested from the earth and taken up to meet him in the clouds. Those who are alive when Jesus comes follow them up to meet him in the clouds. That's when the whole earth is, uh, this word divested, the whole earth is in a sense, of saved believers in, in Christ. That the dead from all the generations before, uh, the live ones now, all are taken up out of the earth and from the surface of the earth to meet Christ in the air because what's about to happen? God, exactly. God's wrath is about to come down on all, all those who have rejected Christ. It's at the end. Towards the end, right? So, that's, that's when this makes the most sense to be talking about. And it, so it's hard. It's hard for me to step back sometimes from the text and say, okay, what are we even talking about here? When chapter 13 was the Antichrist and all the stuff he's going to pull at the midpoint, then uh, the latter half of chapter 13 was the uh, false prophet and all the stuff he's going to try and force people to do. He's going to direct worship to the Antichrist. That's the second half. Then we 
we had, and we jumped to the end with 144,000 Christ on the, the mount. Then we did the three angels at the middle, all this kind of stuff together. And it's like we step back here for a moment, God says, uh, just to remind everybody, here's the point of the end times, the seven years, the whole thing. Here's the point. There's going to be a final harvest of the saved and a final harvest of those to be judged. So we get these, these two pictures of harvest here. So we'll see. It, this is one of those passages. It's almost easier to know for sure what we think about the first angel in the harvest when we read about the second angel in the harvest. So should we just go into that one and go deeper there and see what Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him. So charge of the fire came from the altar. Where have we seen that before? So what's, what's the altar in Revelation been reminding us of all the way through? Souls are under the altar. Mm. Martyred. Souls of the martyred saints. And what are they calling out? How long, O oh Lord, until you judge those who have harmed your children on the earth? So they're asking God for justice under the altar. So here's this still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar. So the fire, let's go back to chapter 8, verse 5. seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour because God's about to pour out his wrath on the earth. Chapter 8 verse 5 says, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. So that's a really powerful picture of the martyrs under the altar and their cry for justice. God answers that. He takes the fire of their passion, their righteousness, sacrifice. God takes the fire from that altar and hurls it to the earth. It's, it's God sending justice finally. Remember he tells them, it will happen in a little while. Wait till the number is complete and then I will I will rain down justice on the earth. So that's what we're talking about here again back in chapter 14, verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar, called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. So verse 19, the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. So now is it becoming really more clear, the first harvest and the first sickle is a harvest unto salvation, righteousness. This harvest is a harvest unto judgment and wrath. So let's go back. If you want to, you don't have to. You can stick your finger here, whatever. But I'm going to go back to Joel. So if you're pretty comfortable finding Daniel, 
is after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then you go Daniel, Hosea, Joel. We're going back to Joel chapter 3. And he talks about this wine press. So that's probably uh, a connection for us to help us understand here. So Joel chapter 3, verse 9. Claim this among the nations, prepare for war, rouse the warriors, let all the fighting men draw near and attack, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations, from every side and assemble there. We're also going to make this connection. This is uh, the scripture of Armageddon. Everybody, all the world's armies coming against Jesus in Jerusalem. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Go, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes. The winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. So is that just a direct connection to how John is reporting it for us in Revelation? going a little bit. Uh, we'll get this Armageddon picture here. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. That's a powerful name for Armageddon, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened. Does that sound like Revelation? Enough. Stars no longer shine. Sure enough. The Lord will roar from Zion. Where's Jesus going to be? Boots on the ground with 144,000 on Zion. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. The Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people. So this Revelation 14, wow, they're just taking stuff, some of it word for word right out of Joel. Comments, questions? Revelation 14, <clears throat> verse 18. <clears throat> Good. Right. Yeah, Mary's saying, so grapes are ripe. That's being emphasized here. Why? Why is it being emphasized here? Sure. Yeah. 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 Completion. So, and and uh, the harvest was ripe for the first harvest too. Up there in verse fifteen. Harvest of the earth is ripe, ripe for believers and stuff we brought up. Now we've got the grapes are ripe, <coughs> time for um, the judgment that's coming. And I don't know, I can't, can't prove this from a verse kind of thing, but when you, when you look at the whole picture and you see this kind of stuff over and over again, the sense I get is that, and I've said this before, the sense I get is that 
very last person who's willing to be saved has been saved. Everybody. And everybody else is sold. There's going to be no middle ground here. Everybody's going to love the Lord Jesus with a passion, willing to die for him, or you're going to hate his death. And so in a sense, the harvest for salvation is ripe, it's full. There's nobody else to come in. And uh, the harvest unto judgment is also ripe. Time is right. They're all ready. Nobody's waffling whether they're going to say yes to Jesus. They're all sold out and eager. And yet, the timing is really clear over and over again that um, the fullness of the salvation has been reached and this fullness of condemnation has been reached. The fullness of time. through the Bible. And so I think Wayne mentioned a, a few Sundays back about you know Peter got actually chances. You know, he denied the Lord three times and other people have been weak and cowardly in the moment and had extra chances and and yeah that's true. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, so why I believe there's gonna be a time and that's no longer this is the time and that's no longer the case. And that's why the Bible is full of warnings. Old Testament prophetic stuff, New Testament prophetic stuff, Revelation, Matthew 24, Jesus all over the place, full of warnings. There will be a time when those multiple chances come to an end. There will be a fullness. There isn't going to be anybody, I don't know, there aren't going to be any Peters. Make sense? It's going to be locked down clear. Is the impression, the strong impression you get from Scripture. Okay, very good. So the grapes are ripe. So this is uh, middle of verse 18. This angel says, Take your sharp sickles, gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. 19. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. We're going to see pretty quickly what that looks like. The bowls. Gathered his grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. Verse 20. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city. And blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. And I get different. It depends on which resource you look at. But they're all around, some say 180 miles, some say 200 miles. It's around the 200 mile thing. But, so we have how high is the flow of blood? As high as the horse's bridle. How long is it? 200 miles. One measurement we don't have is how wide. But still, it's a pretty imposing to me like after these three angels make their stunning announcements have this little pause here where God says I want you to remember what this is all about the whole thing is about final harvest to say final harvest of the judge it's going to be a moment in time when in all time comes to a ripe moment to be judged 
China yesterday, they had some conversations with Australia, and Australia was bold and said, don't you mess with Taiwan, or we will, we, will we will help defend Taiwan, and China came out yesterday publicly and said, anybody who defends Taiwan, we will deal with most harshly. North Korea, he shot a missile last week, just for fun. Some of this stuff could really, dominoes could rapidly, or 19 miles of Poland border, NATO border. So far, western Ukraine, right up on the doorstep of NATO country. You know, you know the deal, right? If he attacks into a NATO country, we are bound by Poland, United States, to defend. So, World War III, I don't see, I don't see in Revelation. I don't see it in the end time. So I'm not really worried about that. God, we're sure glad for the harvest to eternity. Uh, we tremble at the thought of the harvest to hell. And just help us more, Lord Jesus, more and more and more to love on people, pray for them, and to not miss opportunities to share Christ. And God, grow and strengthen our faith daily that we might stand for you in all circumstances, no matter what, because you are worth it. In Jesus, in your precious name, we pray. Amen.